This is Leave the Bottle, and I'm James Bareford. And I'm Randy. Leave the Bottle podcast is on SoundCloud and thousands of other things. Yes, it seems like there's more and more podcast catchers, I guess we would call them. Uh, I keep running across more and more that people say, well, use this one, use that one. Um, as it's long all as I don't good. Have to, it's all good as long as I don't have to use iTunes. I mean, if, if you guys out there want to use iTunes, knock yourselves out if you want lots of bloatware and everything else. But, um, yeah, it seems like every day now I'm reading, well, this is how I get my podcast. That's how I get my podcast. And and that's all, it's all good, like you said. Um, it seems to be I, a rich vein. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. And there's also more um, live platforms. I was trying one today. It's called Mixler, I guess. Mixlr, Mixler. Um, and I'm going to be using it on Friday for our VoIP users conference, which is an hour of uh, tech talk. And um, we have an MP3 server that people can tune to, you know, if they're like in their car, right. know, battery or whatever. I mean, um, cell phone or whatever. But this looks like it's really interesting. It works very well. I just tested it. It sounds really good. You recall maybe Spreaker? Does that mean anything yeah, to you? Yep. Yep. Uh, Spreaker, I actually paid for it for a year and messed around with it doing, um, you know, just one person, five minute talks. But uh, the Spreaker's quality is absolutely abysmal. It's really awful. And there was just no way to get it right for some reason. Whereas this Mixler, everything's something lure now, right? Or er. <laughs> anyway, um, it looks promising. So I might as well mention it's mixlr.com for anybody who cares. You can. Uh, it's mostly music, ironically, but it seems to me to be a really good talk podcasting forum. Has a built-in chat and stuff. Go take a look. It's interesting to me that with developers out there, that somebody else seems like almost daily or weekly it says, "I need to improve the mousetrap. I need to build that better mousetrap." When it comes to podcasting. And when there's already great solutions out there, and I'm not taking away for a moment, I mean, that's how we get innovations in tech and general industries and so forth. When somebody says, I can build a better mousetrap, and that's great. It just, it's interesting to me when there's already in this genre some really, really good uh, podcast catchers out there. There's somebody sitting at home right now saying, I'm going to make something and put it out there. And obviously, there's got to be some kind of market for it. I mean, you know, there are people who are, you know, stay within the iTunes sphere and and, and whatnot. But like we went, uh, my wife and I went to uh, Boston last weekend. I loaded ahead of time, loaded up a whole bunch of podcasts on, on the cell phone to listen on the way up, you know, and on the way back, not that we listen, ended up listening to a whole bunch of them. You know, it's like, I, I went to all this trouble of, of putting them all on there. And then we ended up just shooting the breeze about and trying to solve the problems of the world before I, we knew that we were, you know, before we knew we were in Boston, it's like, okay, I guess we won't be listening to them. Yeah, I do that too. I, I load up a bunch of stuff. Um, especially I have actually have an old iPod that's, uh, you know, in other words, it's, it's not connected to anything. It has right. Wi-Fi. But what I do, it's also, it's got a lot of room on it for podcasts. So it's, all, it's full mostly of podcasts. There's some music on it. And I always have that with me in addition to my phone. Plus the battery, you put it in airplane mode, the battery lasts forever. I mean, it'll last for like four days of, of listening. You know, so I've, never really, I've never really gotten the airplane mode and what, the, uh, what, what was behind that until you just said that. Uh, when we were uh, in Boston the other day, all of a sudden, 
I was uh, taking some pictures of some street performers and I must have changed a setting and changed it to airplane mode. Suddenly my AT&T connection wasn't working and I was I wasn't able to get online. Uh, you had emailed me at one point uh, about uh, doing uh, the show today. And uh, I couldn't, all of a sudden I couldn't retrieve that. I couldn't do anything. And for like an hour, I'm walking around Boston getting madder and madder. Like I can't get my phone, which is kind of a sad state of affairs. When you think about it, you go away for a weekend with, you know, with your spouse, (laughs) you should just be focusing in on that. And instead you're walking around in this beautiful city pissed off because you, you know, you can't access email or you can't access Facebook or whatever. And so I'm mucking around and mucking around all of a sudden I see, Hmm, airplane, mode like because uh, i never even think about it so i turned it off and oh gee magically everything worked again it's actually extremely useful for because it's it's a it turns off all the transmit all the radios in the phone so it turns off the wi-fi it turns off the cell it turns off data it turns off everything so if you don't want a don't want to be disturbed and don't want to get calls which you know is rare i guess but if you're uh, that's why they call it airplane modes for being on a plane, but it also saves, it hugely saves battery. So if you were low on battery, this is the good survival tip. Like if you're out in the middle of the woods, there's no signal anyway, turn the radio right. off. You're not, the radio's useless anyway, and that'll save a huge amount of battery. What's, now, what's, okay, what's the, other than the savings of the battery, so it's effectively a mute button for your phone. Well, it turns all the signals off, and the original, right. the original point was that those signals were going to be interfering with navigation on the plane and stuff. And, you know, uh, just to Which make a bogus. very... That's well, just, just a to, bogus bullshit. But just to make a quick uh, comment on that and a lot of other things, uh, I just assume if there was any doubt at all, even one in a million doubt, that people turn their phones off, you know, my life is more important than somebody having their goddamn phone on on a plane. So, well, until I, that's I'm gonna, completely I'm gonna, I'm gonna 100%. Argue, I, I agree with you completely, but not from a saving my life perspective, because it's been shown repeatedly that that's just bullshit. It doesn't do anything with the navigational systems for, for planes. Think about However, this a second. Let me stop you and you think about this mm-hmm. for a second. All right. Yeah. People have done experiments and so on. But the day that a plane goes down and it's found eventually that this is some new device that hasn't been tested because you know there are uh, you can't live that you can't live life that way you can't live life based uh, well you then you knock yourself out but i'm not going to live my life based on the statistical problem that's a tough word statistic who came up with the word statistic because nobody says statistic statistical? Everyone says, yeah but everybody says every, that first t is almost always dropped because it's just too goddamn hard to say so you say statistic, statistic. Yeah, something yeah. well it's it's sadistic that the word is statistical but i it, to me if if it's a one in 10 million chance one in a hundred you know million chance that you know my ipod if i had an ipod still is going to bring down the plane i'm not going to worry about that however if you want to make the argument that some inconsiderate asshole that's sitting in row 12b behind you is going to talk about some inane bullshit for, you know, a six hour flight cross country. Well, then, you know, as much as I'm against the death penalty and I'm anti death penalty all the way, (laughs) I could almost state a case for instant death penalty for somebody who talks on their cell phone on a plane. 
I mean, okay, you know, forget, let's forget appeals, you know, everything. We'll just head straight to that. And, and from there, yeah, that's an, that's an argument I can, well, buy you're, you're right. I mean, I said, if there was a millionth chance, I mean, there's more, probably better than a millionth chance that the plane will go down with no devices, you know what oh, I mean? Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, you can, then you can just never take a plane, but, but, but yeah, there's a lot of, it was interesting. Um, so we're in Boston the other day and we're riding the T most of the weekend because driving in Boston itself is some for somebody like you who hates cars. This where you know, Boston sure, is like the wor- worst. I hate it. And I don't hate cars like you do. And so we're riding the subway all weekend. You know, it's great. You know, it's fine. Every single person had attached to their hand a cell phone. Every single person had their necks at that nice crook that you see everybody these days. And the one thing I did get is everybody had earbuds or, you know, headphones like we're wearing right now. Almost without fail. It was just, it was really interesting. My wife and I are like looking up and down in the car and it didn't matter where we were going. It was the herd mentality. Well, you've or seen the cartoon uh, where they show people or whatever, some kind of meme on the internet where they show the subway car with people full, you know, everybody's got a phone in their hand and the next frame is the subway car where everybody's got a newspaper in their hand. So exactly. Maybe not that much difference, although I've never, been in any, I've never been anywhere where every single person had a newspaper, so that photo was either photoshopped or posed, obviously. Well, I, for four years, I commuted into uh, New York City daily. I used to take the train in every day, Metro North from Connecticut. And uh, this was in the early 90s. So, you know, long before the internet, really. Mm-hmm. And only a handful of people at that point even had laptops. And they were the big, cumbersome laptops. And they didn't, you know, do a lot of the things that laptops do nowadays. Mm-hmm. But everybody had, say, like the New York Post and the New York Daily News and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And that's how you spent your hour and a half or hour and 45 minute uh, ride into the city. And you'd get off the train in Grand Central Station and they had these big, huge bins. And you took your papers with you because people actually were pretty cool about that. You took your morning paper with your paper or papers. In my case, you get off the train in these big, huge bins and you throw them all in there and you go off and you, and you do your thing. And now it's now I don't even see the bins anymore mm-hmm. because nobody, nobody reads the paper well, in America. Nobody, nobody except for a few older people read the newspaper now. I mean, and the only people that I saw that kind of activity with on the train were um, uh, in the Chinatown section, these older Chinese people reading the Chinese language mm-hmm. new local newspapers. And that was interesting. They were the only ones who weren't using, embracing the new technology. And I was watching them. I'm standing there and getting shaken back and forth as we're riding around in Boston. And I'm like, I was almost envious of them because it took me back to 20 years ago and and seeing them reading the paper. But at the same time, I don't know why I'm being envious, really, because they were they were just as buried into themselves, into what they were doing. And they were just as non-connected to everybody else on that car. Well, one of the advantages of reading a newspaper is, is if, uh, it's unlikely that someone will want to try to steal it or get mugged for it, especially if it's Chinese, by the way. But even so, anyway, <laughs> no, you know, you just made me realize something, though, when I said I hadn't seen because I do a lot of commuting, uh, especially was when I was living in Paris. And I had at one point I had a one hour 
uh, an hour and a half commute uh, each way. But mostly, um, I'm on shorter, you know, like metro, the subway. And it's true that, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're going for three stops, you don't have a paper with you, and maybe you're not going to work or whatever. But it's right. also true that on a train that's largely commuters, I can totally see where you'd have your paper or a novel or something like that. With So, yeah, it makes well, sense. And- and and and, I, and the the earbud thing. I mean, because the subways are loud. I yeah. mean, they are. They're very loud. So it does. It did make sense to me in that it was. But it was interesting that I mean, it was just a cacophony of people with earbuds in and headsets on. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what? I would probably nowadays, if I was commuting again to New York like I used to. I would probably do the exact same thing, and I would have like a podcast on, or I'd be listening to you know. NPR or some kind of music or whatever. Well, you got the distraction and the time killer, and also your own yeah. little world. Plus, it's lo- it's loud. Plus, uh, if everybody else is doing it, uh, I don't know. I, I used to have. Uh, we're talking a long, long time ago. The era of the Walkman. I took those on plane yeah. trips. Right? Yep. And by the way, there was no devices, so there was no. You could have it from start to end. They didn't tell you to put all your stuff away because nobody had. You know, and and I think that. In, at that time, it was even before CDs. This was just cassette readers, cassette players. And so I'd have my headphones on. I, I was probably generally the only person doing that on a flight. And then you could smoke at the same time. So you could well, smoke I didn't, and listen but to yeah. your walk. Well, you could. <laughs> you, you could, could listen yeah. to your walkman and smoke. I mean, it was, those were back in the civil days of flying. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could also, I mean, well, there's so many differences. We don't even want to get into that. Hey, there's a couple of main stories not main stories, but one main story and one of your stories uh, that we said we would talk about. And I think it's, mm-hmm. this is maybe a good time to segue into sure. that. Let me mention the simple and superficial story first, and then we'll get to yours. Um, and I, let's not mention the name of this person. When people do hideous stuff, I don't like to mention their names because it just gives them a, yet another, uh, you know, another boost in their publicity. So there's this coach or, or owner of a baseball, of an NBA team or whatever, the point is, here's a sports guy. He made a horrible comment, racist, yes. right? Because that's yep. what we're getting into. Yep. Um, and there was immediate action. And some people are going, well, that's a little harsh, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the thing, and this is a very short subject for me. If you are a public figure in any shape or form, and even if it's the 10-minute publicity of this other farmer, rancher in whatever podunk state, you know, the same oh, thing. Nevada. He made, yeah, okay, Nevada. he made the thing. For whatever reason, you have a microphone. It's one thing to be sitting around, you're a racist, fine, I know these people exist. Or, sure. or let's just say intolerant, okay? Just maybe you're not even a racist, but you just make snar- smarmy comments. Uh, the point is, if you're doing this in your living room and everybody's okay with it, I don't need to know. I don't care. But... I mean, in the absolute, I do care. But the point is, I'll never know about it. It doesn't matter. If you right. have a public microphone and you know that you're going to be reaching out to a lot of people, uh, by the way, there's also the guy in this Duck Dynasty thing. I mean, this is all so lame, but you don't do this because it's wrong. There's just, I don't know how you could possibly think that it's right to do something like that when you have public attention. If you do it privately, it's not cool as far as I'm concerned. You're not going to be my friend. But you do it privately, okay. 
So either you're exploiting things like the Duck Dynasty thing, which is was total fake. You know, the guy did it probably to boost their ratings or something. And instead, it's nosedived. Well, I don't know. Those, you know, it was exposed later. Apparently, those people are entirely frauds anyway. But getting back to this coach thing, the po- or coach of owner or whatever he is. The owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. Sports, one of the re- you know, I don't like sports or follow it. I know and you one don't. of the reasons is because sports actually. Like religion, sports is like religion. It brings out the worst in human beings. I realize I get the principle, which is to bring out the best in human beings. You know, like Lance Armstrong, (laughs) the best, you know, the performance, the championship, the great, the teamwork and all that. The tribalism. Yeah, but that's also, that might even be good, but it's also bad. And that that brings us to what you were going to say about what happened to you in Boston. Well, you know, I like, I love sports. Um I don't love a lot of what I see that happens because of sports. It's yeah. it's that uh, dichotomy of, okay, well, as somebody who played a lot when I was younger, uh, I love sports. I just It's part of my whole fiber and my whole being, but I don't like a lot of the directions that, that you see it going in. Um, it was an interesting week. I mean, ra- racism, intolerance, what, how, whatever euphemism you want to bring out for it. It's always been here. It's always going to be here. I mean, there's just uh, people that think that somehow that we're going to sit around singing Kumbaya really uh, seem to me to have a very uh, lacking understanding of human nature. Uh, We can evolve, and I'm not saying that we can't evolve and we can grow and we can be. And are we better than we were 40 or 50 years ago? Absolutely. I mean, I'm old enough to remember how things were in the American South uh, when I was very little, driving around, seeing many, many examples. I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I did not see a, a black, say a black man and a white woman walking hand in hand until gosh probably the early 1980s i'm sure it happened but i didn't see it and i lived in pretty big areas those things just like now with uh gays uh being f- more freely walking down the street and holding hands and kissing all stuff, that just didn't happen and it's happening more and more but we you know we have obviously a very long way to go we have, we have, it's worth saying that we have come, we meaning just in general, have come society. a long way. The yes. basic idea of condemning the other for their otherness doesn't yes. change much. And by no. the way, as you well know, I'm sure that there are tribes in Africa that live next to each other and they hate each other as much Absolutely. as anything else. Absolutely. So, Tribalism goes, you know. It's not a color I, I, only thing. It's a no, society. No, thing. no. So it was, you know, a kind of a rough, um, not really a rough couple of weeks in America, but it exposed real truth of what is still around. Uh, and for a lot of people, those truths are pretty harsh and, and as well it should be because it really does show that we have a long ways to go. Well, you had the Nevada rancher whose name I won't use because he gets publicized enough. Yeah. The owner for the Clippers saying his just, and he knew, he knew that he was being recorded and he still said what he said about the black players and about not her, his girlfriend, not bringing black people to the games. Now, if he was willing to say that, not really for the record, because he didn't mean for it to get out, obviously out to a wider distribution, but he knew he was being recorded at that moment. And so in these days, if you know you're being recorded, whether it's from Google Glass or whether it's just somebody on a cell phone, 
you might want to think about some of the things you're saying if you know that. So you had those two instances. And my wife and I were actually talking about both of those instances on our way to Boston. So we're in Boston this weekend, and we're going to go to Saturday night to a New England Revolution game. They're a soccer team for Major League Soccer at the big stadium where the Patriots play. So, and and we went, and lots of kids. Like, it's not really like the English Premier League where it's almost all guys and it's almost all younger guys. Major League Soccer in America had lots of families, lots of women millions of kids. And that's good. I mean, because that's the base that you want to build up along the way. So we we went and we're having a good time and we're sitting down pretty close to the field and there's kids all around us. And they were obviously part of a larger group that had maybe from a soccer team that had come there or something. And they had a bunch of rows in front of us and behind us. And the adults were kind of all sitting down together in one row. The kids are all sitting with kids. That's what kids do. And these kids were all probably nine to 12 in that range. And the parents would get them snacks and get them food and this, that, and the other thing. So we're watching the game and it's going along and everything's nice. And the kids behind us, the boys, they're boys all, you know, 11, 12 years old. They seemed very nice. The whole bit was, it was a cute thing that was going on. So this player for new England, the home team misses a pretty easy shot right in front of the goal. He probably should have scored, but Hey, you know, things happen. So he misses the shot, and all of a sudden, one of the kids behind me, go back to Africa. He didn't scream it. He said it aloud enough for you know, a couple of rows to hear it, and I just about fell over. I, I was absolutely floored to hear this, what sounded to me up till then to be a cute little kid, to um, go back to Africa. You know, listening to this, uh, listening to you tell it now, I read uh, your thing on it, but listening to you tell it now, I'm just wondering, because this has actually happened to me before, a similar thing, not not your story, but what I'm about to say, which is, isn't it possible that if the player was from Minnesota, the kid would have said, go back to Minnesota? You know what I mean? If you think about it for one second, uh, if they weren't saying no. it in a mean way, because this, this kind of thing, I once said something like that, it, it wasn't... Uh, actually wasn't racial, certainly wasn't intended to be. But the way I said this thing, the person looked at me with a horrified face and suddenly I realized, oh my God, what did I just say? You know, I didn't mean that, but it was way too late because it was it was somebody who came up to me in a subway and I was sending them away. But I made a comment and in fact the comment was not meant to reflect that, but it was just an accident, literally an accident. I can still remember right. that and I can still remember that I was horrified too. But there's no way to take that. You can't unspill the milk. You can't go. I couldn't go back no. and say, well, I didn't mean that because even if I said that, they took it that way. And that means that it, I, it revoked my thing. And so you have no doubt. Of, if these kids were nice no, kids. I had no, I had no doubt. I mean, it wasn't like you, it, you effing because that wasn't No, because that was not the last. That's why I know that it was not just a, a, it, it was not a one off because over the next couple of minutes, my wife and I are looking at each other. We're completely appalled. We're just absolutely appalled at what we just heard. And over the next couple of minutes, that kid and one of the other boys, because there was a several uh, Asian Americans on the team also, and they made some kind of comments a couple of times about having uh, Asian Americans on the team. So I don't know, like 10 minutes later, one of the other black players makes a mistake and the kid again, go back to Africa. And I just turned around. I said, that's enough. And I turned back around. Not a peep the rest 
after the game in that realm. They after that, they just went back to being what seemingly were the nice kids before that. Um, but like my wife and I were talking about it like at halftime, and we're like, kids don't just say that out of nowhere. That those words, those particular words, don't come from just out of the blue. Um, those are learned words. That's a learned expression. That's a learned expression. Could be. And, could be. And, well, they, they've got it from you're somewhere. You're saying that they heard it. Like they I, were watching sports with the with the uh, dad or something. More or. than likely dad. I mean, because the thing is, kids, racism is not inherent. It's not something you're just born with. It's a learned environment. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. A, there's, there's, a, there's a brilliant song uh, by sh- the singer-songwriter Sean Mullins and uh, Shimmer. And uh, and that's what the entire thing is about, is about that we're born to shimmer, we're born to shine, but they teach us how to hate. And it's truer words are not – it's one of my favorite all-time songs, uh, Shimmer, because it talks about that, that you, when you and I were born, we didn't see color. We don't see anything. We're taught that. And those boys – and what was really upsetting to me about it was that they seemed like really nice kids. And if you look at them, they just look like your regular – kids next door that probably play soccer in the backyard and, and probably aren't bad kids. You know, they, they yeah, had well, maybe, maybe ex- exactly. The, the reason I was trying to give the kid a pass in a certain way is, is that if they seem like nice kids and they, uh, yeah, yeah I mean the, the, the kid who yelled it though, maybe didn't feel the weight exactly or the impact, especially by right. the way, if he shut up once you told him that's not cool. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think your point is well taken though, that, this is something that goes on in the home, and there's no one there. It's not like the kid comes back from college, and the dad says that, and he goes, Dad, that's totally uncool. Don't do that. That's embarrassing. I'm not going to watch with you anymore. You know, where we reverse our roles, and the kid becomes the tutor, as it were. So, the, you know, the fact that uh, that they chilled afterwards, I don't know what kind of faces they were making at the back of your head, but uh, yeah, who probably cares? Probably were, oh, screw you, old man, or yeah. whatever. But they seem to, they seem to totally change gears mm-hmm. after that. Uh, I think had, you didn't get the impact, honestly. Had, had, no, I, I really don't. I don't think that they did. I don't think that they they had that true understanding. I mean, that was about the age when I first learned how to swear. Like friends taught right. me how to swear, and, <laughs> and before that, it's like my father was so prim and proper about that kind of stuff. Oh my god! And then we moved into this this big apartment complex. And all of a sudden, I, I ran with the, the the little hooligans that were all. I was like, I was like eight, nine years old, and they were like, ooh, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and they knew all these new to me new words, and they used them all the time. And before I knew it, I had built up my vocabulary and gotten a lot of trouble for, for some of that vocabulary. But uh, so I try, I, I tried to give them a pass too. I really did. I appreciated that the rest of the game, that they were good, that they behaved, that I didn't have to go to the adults that were a couple of rows ahead. What do the adults look like? They just looked like your normal soccer moms and soccer. They looked like my coworkers. They looked like the people I see in the grocery stores. You know, they didn't, you know, have branded it on their heads, you know, little swastikas yeah, and yeah, things like that. They just looked like you're just everyday middle Americans who get up and go to work and, and do whatever. And the thing is, is middle Americans can be racist too. It doesn't, you know, people try to say, oh, they use the wife beater, um, Walmart t-shirt, wife beater uh, things, and try to paint that brush. Well, 
Well, you know, there's you can be middle class, you can be upper class as the owner for the Los Angeles Clippers has shown us and still and you can have all the college degrees you want, but that doesn't intrinsically make you a more enlightened person or a kinder or gentler person, you know, depending on your upbringing. You know, I have people in my, you know, that in in my family growing up, some who were just neutral, some who were, were fairly enlightened and some who were completely not enlightened. And so sometimes you, as growing up, you have to wade yourself through those minefields of, of accepting acceptable behavior. Or like, if you see uncle Joe, who's, you know, you know, effing, you know, black people, this or effing Jews or effing this and all that. And you have to try to filter in and out all of that to get to the person that you want to be growing up. And I'm really hoping I'm, I, I do retain hope that those little boys that were sitting behind me at the new England revolution game the other night, that that was, that was something that they will not continue on. I really, really hope it was one in particular and it was another one. And the other ones were just kind of not teeing, but they were just, you know, kind of going along. And at that age, you don't want to move against the crowd either. So, of course not. so even of if there course. was one person doing that, and again, I, I would tend to think that they didn't get the weight and they said it just no. like you, you like, just like you say stuff, you know, and think it's cool almost. I've heard, let's put it this way. I've gone to like New York Yankee games and Boston Red Sox games where, where it was all adults in that area. And it was very booze filled, you know, yeah. beer infested where I've heard a lot worse, mainly because of the tone of the voice, like the, the boy's voice. It wasn't, there was not that anger. Yeah. Well, they don't, ha- you don't no have, ang- that, you don't have that level of evil at that age. And by the way, uh, how about people throwing shit on the field? Yeah. And see, that's where the sport, the whole sport thing breaks down completely for me. And I think, man, I'm not, it's like the plane and the iPod turning it on. You know, I'm not going to go to a sports match ever. If nothing else, you know, the stands collapse because hooligans are jumping around at each other. <laughs> this is just, there's just as a whole part of it. Anyway, back to what we were you, saying. You know, it was interesting when you're talking about that the other day. I mean, you don't follow sports, so you may not have seen this. But the other day, there was um, in the Spanish La Liga game, uh, one of the stars, he went to do a corner kick and somebody threw a banana out that landed in front of him. So he took it, he opened it up and he ate it all in one bite. <laughs> and I thought he threw it back. No. So what? then it turns out the, the interesting story after the fact is that he and several other uh, black uh, players have had to deal with all of this nonsense before. So they decided between them that the next time that that happened, they weren't going to get mad. They weren't going to make a big scene about, you know, throwing the banana away. They were going to eat it as their way of kind of kind of saying, you can't define me with your racism. I'm going to take the weapon that you're using, the banana, and and use it in a different way. And that was brilliant. I think it was brilliant. It was basically an F you to the person who threw the banana down by just taking it without making a big scene. He just opened it and boom, ate it one bite and then did the corner kick. I thought I I read something about the boomerang that he threw it back or it turned into a boomerang. What what was that? That was another story. That must be another story. So I I thought that was interesting. It's funny when you're talking about the, um, when something that you said either was misconstrued or, you know, it wasn't in, in what it was taken in a, in a way you didn't mean for it to happen. It was funny. I was thinking to myself while you were talking about it, we were living in Florida I don't know, 12, 13 years ago and it was Christmas time. You know, there's Christmas music playing in the stores. Not, we're in Publix, which is a big uh, grocery store chain. 
and we're in line. And one of my favorite songs, uh, Christmas songs, is Christmas in, Ho- in Hollis by Run DMC. And there's one line in it. Santa Claus is a black man. And it's and it's just it's done as a as a funny refrain. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I are in line and I'm not thinking about it. And we're in we're listening to Christmas music. So I just said to my wife and sing song, Santa Claus is a black man. And I see her kind of like freeze and look behind me. There's a black woman right behind me in line at this getting ready to purchase her things too. And I just looked at her and I'm like, oh my God. She doesn't realize she was older. She was probably in her, I don't know, at that time in her fifties or sixties or something. So I'm doubting that run DMC was exactly mm-hmm. on her, her iPod shuffle list. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, you know, what do I do here? Obviously I was just joking from a song. Well, it's not a mean thing, is it? I mean, no, no, no. no I, I, did, I did it in a sing song, like in a funny sing song, like they do in a song. And, uh, I'm like, I could just make this a whole lot worse right now if I try to explain to her. So, you know what? I, I, you know, I felt terrible because it was completely misconstrued, but I had to let her essentially go away, walk away thinking that I was a racist. No, that's not a racist thing. I don't, yeah. Well, not racist, not racist. No, no. I had to let her going away, go away, having a different opinion of me than she likely would have had she just talked to me on a regular normal level, but it was just one of those things where the explanation can be worse. Oh yeah. You know, and, you know, and that's what happens in life sometimes. Well, I didn't you know? try. well yeah. And, and yeah. And it's, but I, and it's stuck with me all those years. That's like, I'm usually a pretty careful person about being mindful of those things. And I really was just, and I, it's not like I said it loud. It's just that we were in a crowded, you know, line right there. And I just, it was just a off the cuff joking around because I had just been listening to it minutes earlier and <laughs> just, it kind of backfired on me in that sense. You know, and, and I've always felt bad that that person probably had, uh, hopefully she, you know, someday after that heard the song, maybe from her kids <laughs> or her grandkids or something. Like, oh, okay. That's what that white boy was talking maybe about. She, uh, <laughs> maybe she called in on some radio talk show to ask about it or something. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it is, you know, it, racism, racism or the color divide, or, I mean, there's just so many different euphemisms you can use to describe it. Um, you know what? I think also, so, okay, we, we generally learn this either from peers because we don't have good friends. We have lousy peers, uh, like in a school or in, by the way, in the military, that can happen. Uh, and, and by the way, just as a quick, who, who are these bad kids that everybody's children hang out with? Nobody ever says, my Johnny is the bad kid. He always hangs out with the wrong crowd. Well, that's it's because he's the wrong crowd. Yeah, but the nobody bad... ever wants to say my kid is the wrong crowd. <laughs> well, that's because the bad the bad uh, kids. First of all, the, the parents aren't really dealing with them, so you know they don't know, and they maybe don't talk to other parents. And I wanted to mention too that uh, when I was talking about like you have the microphone and you have uh, you have a responsibility. Um, and the other one of the other examples is somebody like Ted Nugent, for example, and in his statements. And I mean, you know, without even and I did say the name, I broke the rule. I'm sorry, but um, he's just so patently uh, obnoxious in that way, yes. and that's a bad lesson. So anyway, you you get the lesson from the parents or from the peers, 
But, um, for example, my stepfather, my brother and I are both musicians. I wasn't much of a musician when this happened, but when I lived at home, um, our st- my brother was bringing, um, he, w- he played jazz, and he, he brought a guy over, and the guy was playing the piano and stuff. And um, after that guy left, um, our mother let us know that, uh, that the stepfather wasn't that happy about having black people in the house. Mm-hmm. And I've even heard my stepbrothers, who I love dearly, well, the one anyway who's still around, um, they will often make these jokes. They're innocuous jokes if they don't go any further to me. I mean, they're not innocuous to me, but at the same time, I see no reason to go to call them on it because it's a lifetime thing. And this is not somebody who would do it in public or who would do anything bad to anybody, okay? So right. I kind of give, have to give them a pass. You mentioned this about the uncle who does, you know, what are you going to do? If you're going to call them out, it better be for the reason that you think there's a chance of changing their mind. But um, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, I mean, you, why as get into just, it? As opposed to just because when you get purely into a, a condemning thing, then, then it's, it's, it, it deteriorates very quickly and it turns into a very, very ugly conversation. Yeah. Sometimes those, sometimes we need ugly conversations. I mean, there's no doubt. Well, if, you, if it was like your kid that. bringing that behavior home, right. then it's your responsibility to have the ugly yeah. behavior. Even if the kid won't talk to you for three months, you still have to tell them that that's not the way to do it. Uh, but, but the point that people need to understand is that a lot of this also comes from uh, – you know, so if I say the word the takers, for example, and we know that that's come to be a dog whistle for uh, – for people who are on welfare, and most of these people in that idiom of people talking about this topic, you're basically talking about uh, black people on welfare, right? This is generally right. the uh, what that's supposed to mean. It's kind of a coded thing. the The thing is that comes, in my opinion, that comes from a lack of a personal responsibility. So my life isn't going well. And by the way, this isn't even necessarily race-based. This is anything, like your neighbors. This jealousy of your neighbors, well, you know, he's got he's got a better car than I do, and um, he doesn't actually work that hard, or he inherited his money. You know what? You, if somebody inherits a lot of money or wins the lottery, right, they didn't do anything, yeah, I could see, you know, hey, that's not really cool since I've been killing myself for 25 years. I'm buried mm-hmm. in debt. But you know what? That doesn't make any difference. It's not going to help. That you that you denigrate the other person, I, right? The jealousy thing—it's human. We're all a little bit jealous of somebody else's success. Of course, I think we'd be lying if we weren't. Of but denigrating the other person and particularly doing something bad, like talking, bad mouthing them to other people, so spreading that discontent that you have in your own soul is something that's just not on. First of all, it paints you in a very poor light to anybody who's got any brains at all, even if they, they themselves have their own little problems of. Uh, of of being maybe prejudiced or blaming other people, but still listening to that speech is already anyone with half a brain is going to think less of you. So you don't want to be spreading that around. And the other thing is, if you start thinking to yourself, well, these people are doing this, you know, there's already something wrong with that because what you should be thinking about here, I'm into, you know, inspiration mode or whatever. But the point is, I think you should always be thinking about what can I do that I can make it better? And if, if I'm not having the life I want, why am I blaming people on welfare? Because I don't think, frankly, that there's that many people. There may be a very few, but I don't believe that there are very many people who go, you know what? I'm not going to work all my life. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to go on welfare. Screw it. 
I don't want to do anything. That that number's got to be tiny, honestly. If they well, had any choice at all, they'd be off it. They, well, you wouldn't want to be on food stamps just to do it. You know what I mean? It's no, just not going to no, happen. Most, no, most people. And it's for some, uh, like for a lot of people, it's a learned thing. It's what it's just like everybody else. It's what you see growing up. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that most people aspire to be on welfare. I don't think most people aspire to be the food stamps although let's let's be honest here a lot of the recipients of food stamps are in the military they're active military and there's just something wrong with that when you think of, on its face on its face it's wrong that that uh military and their dependents even have to worry about that that they even have to be on food stamps it, it's it's sh- as somebody who was in the service I find it shocking and amazing and stupefying, frankly, that such a large percentage of U.S. soldiers and their dependents are on food stamps. And whenever I hear you know people going on and on about food stamp recipients, and also, do you realize that the large percentage of them are actually in the military? That you're always going on about about def- how proud you are of defending their your, your, for your freedoms and so forth but at the same time you're turning and you're condemning them in the end you think that you're just de- de- you think that you're just uh decrying that person in the inner city who's the, the you know the financial boogeyman for every one of your problems welfare queens that's yeah and you know yeah the well you know you know the actual percentage of people in America in a country of 330 million or 350 million how many people are really on these programs that do absolutely nothing I'm not talking about um, the military who are getting food stamps and so forth nowadays the days of lifetime welfare in America are over and they have been now for almost 20 years since and it's, their iro- welfare, it's ironic since, since um, you know there are so many people unemployed and that the the economy has been hijacked. We don't even get into that. That's a three-hour discussion. But the point is that, you know, things may or may not turn around. Let's hope they do. But in the meantime, a lot of people are in bad shape. You saw my post, and I'm sure you agreed with the the West Wing thing about how I'm watching West Wing. It's it's taking place 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, originally, we were pissed off because it was during the Bush years, and we're watching that going, God, if only Martin Sheen could be president, or that, you know, this guy, Jeb, Jed, whatever his name is, who's a PhD in economy, and blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's of course, a bleeding heart liberal, which I am too. So, you know, everybody was thrilled with all this stuff. And then, really great discussion and stuff. But what was what's depressing then was that uh, Bush was president. What's depressing now is that we pretty much got our way. Uh, Obama's done two terms. This is not against him, by the way, but simply an indictment in the way the government, big, not the big government, the government as a whole works with the lobbying and all the whole other thing, is that yeah. basically none of the issues that they're talking about on the West Wing 15 years ago have changed. And uh, welfare and universal health care and st- things like that are still, you know, they were being talked about then. That's, that's why I mentioned that. So, uh, because I think the welfare queen might have come up somehow in that or some, I there was some expression that. of that. Yeah, it's an, it's an ugly absolutely, term. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly term to use against a fellow human being. But it's the, just, 
the fraud okay. the fraud rate of that is has got to be incredibly low. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't. How people- about the fraud rate of Wall Street? You exactly. want to talk about fraud rate? Exactly. Let's talk about the fraud rate of Wall Street, and I will never understand friends of mine who are in the forty fifty thousand dollar a year club who can't differentiate between that, who can't understand the basic concept that too big to fail is something they're going to be paying for for many, many, many oh, years. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and I do, but, the, but it's easy. It's easier to, to turn around and just talk about welfare Queens and so forth. I hate that fucking. Term. Yeah. It's, it's really it. hard. It's really hard to understand because I have uh, friends who I think are not idiots. I don't have a million friends like this, but I, one person in particular who I think a lot of in, in most areas, but, uh, just can't grasp, for example, the that uh, healthcare thing is a good thing universally. Right. Why? Because right. he's got healthcare where he works. Uh, the day you know that fails for any reason, by the way, um, that'll be interesting. Uh, speaking yeah. of, of of that, just briefly too, I was listening to the Jimmy Dore thing, and he has he brings up a whole bunch of little excerpts of media that are pretty incredible. Uh, in one example, uh, there were a couple of women talking on major networks against the uh, equality, um, salary equality. I've already forgot what that is. Yes. Not the ERA. Yes. What is that? Whatever that amendment is. And there, right. It was the, have, yeah, so that for women so that women will get so, uh, equal pay. So somebody like Fox. Free market. Free market. That's all they ever say. No, but somebody, Let the market decide. Yeah, but they've got, they got women. So Fox or somebody dredge up these women who are up there defending it, which makes it 100 times worse. You know, uh, thinking, saying like, uh, well, you know, oh, I can't, I can't quote it, but it's just you listen to this and you go, I can't believe somebody actually said that. Well, it's and, just no, no different than uh, to seeing somebody who's uh, gay, who's a member of the Republican Party, knowing full well that a central tenet of their platform goes directly against equality for gays. It's I, odd. It's I, odd. It really is. I've, I've always, and yes, I'm stereotyping here, but I've never understood how anybody who's gay or anybody who's black can be a Republican. There was I a, don't get it. I don't get it. You know, now that you say that, you just reminded me, there was a, what I found a hilarious show, Whoopi Goldberg had a TV show, and uh, her, was it her brother, I think, her brother was a fervent Bush supporter, a fervent Republican. He wanted to go to the RNC and everything black, you know. <laughs> and he had a blonde, a very, very blonde girlfriend who spoke like a black woman. This is such a funny parody. And I, I think it offended both white and black people, by the way, somehow. But it was, it was humor, okay? It was satire. So right. it's, it's actually, I found it really funny. And this guy, so he, he got fired from Enron. He was an accountant, black, <laughs> very you know, ed, well-educated, a college diploma, black guy, an excellent actor. They had great, great acting. And it's very funny. I think it was just called Whoopi. If you ever get a chance to see that, it's, that particular thing was really funny. And here's this guy, and he keeps trying to meet Bush, and he's trying to get on the RNC, and he's got all the qualifications, too, and he just can't figure out why he's not well, making it's, headway. It's a whole – and the thing is, is, I don't mean to just – I didn't mean to just use the example of the gay community no, or the all. black community. It's I don't understand how a person making anybody – I don't care what color you are – in America, who's making 40 or 50 grand a year or less, or even worse, that are making less, that are making 20, 30,000 a year, 
how you can support these jackals that want to take everything away from you and throw everything into a complete free market economy, which is really free market boils down to survival of the fittest. Sur- no, survival of the richest, you mean? Yes. It's well, strange. yes. Well, the fittest and the richest. I heard an explanation for this, though, you know, which is, and it, and it, it's the same explanation uh, that was in a book called Down and Out in Paris and London. I think that's H.E. Wells, oddly enough. Um, no, Orwell, I'm sorry. George Orwell wrote a book that's not very famous called Down and Out in Paris and London. And, and uh, he ta- spoke to a waiter. I'm getting to the parallel here, believe me. He's, he was talking about waiters, and somebody said, doesn't the waiter hate you? You know, as a customer in a restaurant, the waiter hates you. You may comment on this, by the way, James, because you, you've been in this business. Oh, yeah. And he said, his comment was, you know what? No, what, the waiter, what goes through the waiter's mind when he's waiting on you remember this was written a hundred years ago almost, uh, is he's picturing himself being in your place. Yes. And if you think about this for a second, that may not be literally true of people who are serving you know, in a restaurant, but this is the mentality that you're asking about, which is there's this hope that you're going to make it and you're going to make it big. And yes. someone who was very lucid on whatever I was listening to said, the fact is that you do have a better chance to make it in a capitalistic economy than you would if you were some kind of a uh, peon, you know, some in a in a uh, major repressive economy. But the fact is, the chances that you're going to make it to be huge and hugely rich are tiny. They're in t- they're right. in tests. Uh, they're very small, <laughs> infinitesimal. Thank you. thank you brain for waking up anyway that's the idea and i think that's why people think to themselves well you know what shit this is you got to have you got to have personal effort and motivation and i'm going to do this meantime they're taking a little time off this motivation to talk bad about somebody else and these people do this these people do that whereas if they were really concentrated they actually might get filthy rich well yeah i I have nothing against the concept of being rich or getting or, no. or, or working yourself to be rich, no. you know, and, and I don't even, you know, uh, Hey, I didn't fall out of the golden womb. You know, had I fallen out of the go- golden womb, you know, my life would, you know, could have and would have been very different, but who knows? You see a lot of misery from rich people too. People always mistake that I talk to <clears throat> mistake my views for being anti the rich, for being wanting to, you know, go out with forks and pitches and, you know, and, and tar and feathering the rich. That's not my point. My point is how some of these people got to being rich and how they get to stay rich and how they get to write the rules that I have to live by here in America because they have completely, and it's not a recent phenomenon. But no, they have, no, it's uh, always been that way, actually. It's always been that way. <clears throat> and there's a, uh, a really good eight-part uh, documentary series that was from um, History Channel, I think it was. And it's on uh, – It's on. I know it's on Amazon Prime and it might be on uh, Netflix. It's The Men Who Built America. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the Carnegie, Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, and uh, Henry Ford. And they use real examples and they use actors playing them as well with voiceovers and so forth. And it, you know, it starts off in the 1860s, 1870s, and they end it in the 1920s. And you're watching it and you're just like, well, it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, it's the way, you know, it's the way it's always been. And to an extent, it's the way it always will be. I mean, let's face it. We can do some good, but 
in the end, the rich are always going to inherit the earth. Maybe not, not the meek. Maybe that. Maybe in the days that you're talking about, where you had, uh, uh, if not the Wild West, the after the Wild, you know, where things were a lot of farming, a lot of uh, individual farms, family farms. There was a huge amount of space. The United States is still a vast, vast country with. Yes. relatively small population. So, you know, maybe at the time that the birth of the nation, uh, that, the, you know, people were building railroads, and maybe this had a better effect at the time. I mean, you know, obviously they were, I haven't seen the series, I'll have to look for it, but obviously a lot of people got exploited when they were building, say, the railroads and stuff like yes. that. But yes. the point is that there was a common good for the growth of the country, and I, I think there's, you could make some arguments there. Plus, we, hey, we weren't that involved, you know what I mean? Uh, mentally, as far as socially, uh, the whole racist thing and the anti-Asian, uh, that whole you know deal of putting people to work and almost near slavery and slavery. But now that we're all connected by the internet, this is, by the way, where the shit hits the fan. The internet is kind of where the shit hits the fan. We're yes. seeing it with social media. Every time you somebody farts over at a big company like Procter & Gamble, it's over for them if they don't find the damage control that you know on Twitter or something. Right. Um, so we, we see that almost daily now. And Absolutely. this, what I don't understand is how this is going to play out for what you're talking about, which is the discontent. There are, maybe everybody's sleeping and they don't understand. Maybe that's kind of what you were saying too, is that uh, these, you know, everybody thinks they're going to get rich, so they're doing the market economy dance, and this is what I do. And if I got to work three jobs, I got to work three jobs, and so on. Right. But that, but it's not the Republicans' fault, or it's not the lobbyists' fault, or it's not Wall Street's fault. So you know, when things wake up, I think the shit may hit the fan. I just don't know what form that would take in a country like America because it's, uh, it's just the structure, the way know, it is. It's weird when you when you have so many people, millions of people. Voting against their best interest, um, or not being able to, the ones that would or, vote or can't because of the gerrymandering shit that's going gerrymandering, on. Gerrymandering, gerrymandering, um, voting rights being, yeah, you know, voting rights being taken away because you're a convicted felon. There are some states who have overturned that. Frankly, uh, to me, that should be a federal issue. Yeah, it should. <clears throat> I think I think it should be a federal issue. I don't think it should be left up to the states. But then there are whole sections, uh, to, to there, are whole, there are whole segments of the population that don't believe in the federal government, and I don't have to name those. <laughs> but right. I mean, this big government thing, and that the government has too much power. I don't know. When I was in school, we were taught that the reason there was a federal government, was, it was actually pretty cool the way it was set up, where you had this basic, hey, this is who we are as a country. And then you had states because, first of all, you know, the beauty of the bicameral thing, we have, we have a certain number of seats for population right. and another one where you, you, but each one gets two senators. I mean, there's a huge um, beauty in this system, this conception of it. And now it's been profaned into something that doesn't work at all. Uh, but that's yeah, beside, uh, beside well, the point. They need to take the, for one thing, the electoral college needs to go. Yeah, it there's that to too. Because, I mean, if you, if you lived in Laramie, Wyoming, and I live in Miami, Florida, your vote counts more than mine. Yeah. The yeah. way it works with the Electoral College, I get the, the original concept behind it 200 years ago. But you know what? 200 years ago, we had slavery, too. Yeah. And, we, and we realized that that was inherently wrong, and we dealt with it. Yeah, and this whole not them. touching, and this whole not touching the wisdom of the founders. Uh, you know, oh. I get into arguments about this all the time. Times have changed so much. The founders themselves probably would love to make a bunch of amendments. You know, and, and, and they, were not, they, they were not infallible. They owned no. people. 
they owned human right. beings and treated them very harshly. So you always have to remember that when it comes to the founding fathers, there's there's smart people in every generation. They were not any smarter than many people that are around today. On the other I hand, not. I would not want Steve Jobs to be responsible for the rest of my life either. So, well, <laughs> you know, you know what? He, he he and the people, the fine people at Google and the fine people at a few other tech places are largely responsible for and will be for a long, long time responsible for a lot of areas of our lives. But <clears throat> this whole it's always been the, the mythology of the founding fathers. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm it's not saying a lot of them weren't I'm not saying a lot of them aren't smart. Yes, they a lot of them were very brilliant. A lot of them were very brave considering the times of what was going on there. I'm not taking that away. But this this need to uh, for the mythology to build for them about how wonderful and how brilliant they were. Well, some also some of those writings were also taken based off of other documents and uh, over the hundred years before that, they didn't just sit down one day in 1775 and start right. working this out, you know. And and there's a danger in in mythological mythologicalizing anybody. You know, I mean, you have people now who want Reagan on the $20 bill, who want Reagan added to Mount Rushmore. And, you know, someday you'll probably have people who will want Obama on the $5 bill or Obama on Mount Rushmore mm. because of his position in history, not for what he's done or frankly hasn't done, but because of what he represents. I get all of that, but it's 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 a uh, it's a subject that you really need to tread lightly on. When it comes to that and consider the overall person, not just this big mythical uh, view that we have of them. And that's the danger. That's the danger we now have with the founding fathers is people, instead of looking at them through real timelines and a a telescope of what they really represented, still have this big rose colored view of them. And I think it's dangerous. And I think it's because with times being what they are now in America, it's made it even more dangerous. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I don't believe that's why I mentioned Jobs, by the way, is because Steve Jobs, because I don't, I don't believe in this idealization business or idolization, mm-hmm. whatever the idolatry, uh, whatever that is. I mean, these people are human beings. They were the founders were the founders of you know, sort of Sergey and what's his name, Larry Page, and those guys yeah. also, uh, for whatever brilliant things they may have going for them. They're just human beings, and they're they're working in a context. The right. founding the founding fathers were working in a, in an extremely limited cultural context, really, really limited. And yes. and mo- I think they were all rich, by the way, as well. And that's that's wonderful for them and their families. But the point is that these things probably should be reexamined today, and maybe they are by the so-called Supreme Court and things like that. I mean, that we do have mechanisms for it. But but the whole deal is that, uh, and a quick uh, rebound on the Obama question of whether he should be considered in history as a big deal or not. Yeah, the fact that he's in there at all is absolutely amazing. My mind was totally blown when he first got elected. And um, I think the peop- those of us who like that concept were had a lot of hope. The bad part of his presidency comes not from him as a man or even a leader to me, but comes from the demonstration that, in fact, that isn't what's going to tip the balance of what we need to do, apparently. And that means that there's this whole machine behind the curtain, not that much behind anymore, but there's all this stuff going on that made it impossible 
for him to uh, do a lot of the things he wanted to do. Uh, and the fact that they're still trying to kneecap the, <laughs> the healthcare thing is just incomprehensible to me, especially when you recall that uh, basically the healthcare system that we ended up with is very similar to Romney's plan and the, the whole, you know, I mean, it's just incomprehensible that people can go into this thinking, non-thinking cycle. And you mentioned Reagan. Reagan did a bunch of things, and so did uh, the his predecessors, Republicans. They did a lot of things. Lincoln was Republican. Reagan did a couple of things. Uh, Nixon created the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. I just saw that again on West Wing. It reminded me uh, in 1972. So, oh, no, the Clean Water Act. I'm sorry. He, didn't cre- he may not have created the agency. But the point is Republicans have done wonderful things in the past, and they bring back these guys like Reagan – you know, the uh, wet dream phenomenon among them. And, you know, Reagan did a lot of stuff that was okay and and uh, that people would like to do today or like to respect. He did a lot of other stuff too. Like he famous quote of Reagan was when they were started tearing down the trees in California. Uh, ah, but, you know, you've seen one tree, you've seen them all. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> that was in you a know, thing called the, the Last Days of the Late Great State of California book. Yeah, because he, he had, uh, what, James Watt as his... Uh cabinet secretary for the interior i think it was at the time and and they just were like all speed ahead let's get the let's get the chainsaws and the plows out and dig it all up and we need what we need is parking lots not national parks something like that i think basically was part of the deal you're gonna bring out Joni mitchell now huh yeah yeah, exactly Um, it, it's 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 tough. It I really guess that is. song probably was a reaction to that. Now that I now that you mentioned it, I mean, I never well, really it was thought before about that it. time, but it was about the exact same kind of experience. Yeah. But you know, it's no president does all good or all bad. I mean, I can name a lot, and I voted for Obama twice, and I can name a whole lot of reasons why I'm bitterly disappointed with him. And yes, I've had my big blowouts with fellow bleeding heart liberals. I think most of them are disappointed, don't you? You don't Uh, think they're disappointed? No, well, you know what? What it is is if you get them in public, they they will defend him and they will um, they will protect him. Let's say put him in this this cocoon of of uh, hope and change. If you get them in private, then more often than not, they'll actually be semi honest and be you know that there are many issues that they take with him i'm of the opinion that you know what you, i'm what you see is what you get kind of guy and you know what i'm fucking disappointed with yeah. obama I, I get it i know and i'm gonna have people say well you know he's been roadblocked at every turn absolutely he has there is no doubt about that he has been stymied repeatedly by the republicans he has been he has had more judicial nominations blocked than an all combined in history leading up to him. And it's, and it's it maybe more importantly or certainly as important. Yeah, all of that has happened, but also he has been publicly dissed by the other party. The muds that they are slinging yes. and the bullshit and the lies and the crap that they have done is unconscionable. And that's, well, it's because that's they don't why. consider him the part of the office. I mean, you talk about you're supposed to respect the office. That's why they refer to them as Mr. President. Yeah. Because it's not about him. It's about the office. And if a Democratic congressman made some of the comments yeah. about uh, President, we'll say President Romney, that s- some of them seem to feel is okay to be made about President Obama – there would be a huge firestorm about that. It's like whether you like him or not, you, 
there there is an expectation by fellow politicians, even if in private they're you know mfing him well, up yeah, and down. What in has public, he done? You're supposed to show something different, but it all goes back to the he's not really a legitimate president. Well, he won yeah. two elections and he won the last one pretty freaking handily. He handed Romney his head by electoral votes and by the general mm. election. So it's like he won two in a row. So there are a segment of he's a, he's the legitimate president, whether you like it or not. I didn't like Bush, but you know what? Bush was the legitimate. Well, I know there's something to be said for in 2000. Yeah, we're whether, not even whether, sure about that. Whether, well, whether he was uh, and I lived in Florida at that point, oh, by the nice. way, I was, down, I was down in West Palm Beach outside the courthouse during the protests. When you weren't stuffing the ballots, I hope <laughs> if I had if I had, there <laughs> would have been the a different direction. president. There would have been President Gore. Um, but it, it, it just it shocks me, really, when I hear congressmen. Yeah, I don't. I don't think making that's such cool. disparaging comments. Although, if you look back in history, if you look back in the 1700s and the early 1800s, they were actually probably even worse than now. If you look at a yeah, lot of the, they didn't political- have the megaphone. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have television. But had they had different. it, had they had it, they would have been everybody's. Na- and it goes back to what we were talking, what we led the show off about today, about racism and and, and society and so forth. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And that can be about racism. It can be about politics. Mm-hmm. It can be about many avenues of life. And I think that that's kind of like the full cycle of, of where we're getting at here today. But I'm not ready to throw my hands up and just say, well, you know what? It's the way the world works. Shit happens. And, you know, I'm just going to have to accept racism. I'm just going to have to accept nastiness and politics as the price of doing business of being a human being. I still think that in the end, we do have to say, you know what, just for my little part, whether it was me turning around to those little boys and saying, that's enough, or whether it's somebody saying to a congressman at a town hall meeting, you can disagree with the president all you want, but do it respectfully. Yeah, I think that would be that would be nice if people just did that. I think it's great what you did and that it worked. Fortunately, you didn't get shot or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there's always that, right? Don't yell at my kid. No, the 16 year old could have had a gun or something. But anyway, let's not go there. The point is, uh, it worked, and that's that was a good that was a good action that may have actually caused a reaction somehow. Maybe. And what you're saying about the town hall would be nice, except that the town halls seem to be stuffed with like-minded people. So that's not going to work. I know, I know. They're standing up on their soapbox amongst the masses of people. Well, and I think they manipulate. I think that a lot of times that gets manipulated. I've seen a couple of things. Where did we see? I think a woman was on Bill Maher, and they showed her, and she actually did what you're saying. I don't remember the context. I wish I could so that you could uh, know what I'm talking about. But the point is somebody did actually get up and kind of testify, if you will, as we used to say. Uh, at one of those things, and she called somebody down for saying, "Hey, this is not your place to do that this way." And you know, right? That was that was good. Hey, uh, before we leave, have you did you see the new John Oliver show? I that started this week on HBO. I'm going to be watching it probably tonight, so I have not. Is it good? Did you like it? it? Don't do, don't go into any specific. No, 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 no. But it, it is great. And oh, it's, excellent. Yeah, he's supposed to be good. It's it's the worst titled show maybe in the history of all worst titled TV shows. Last week tonight with John Oliver, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, it's, it's a little it's, strange, it's, but yeah. Last week tonight, with remember John this Oliver. was the week that was. You're old enough. Yeah, to yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was Absolutely. it that? Or was it that, that was, was the week that was? Terrible title. But my wife and I watched it, 
And, well, his name uh, is in the title, and his na- he's got a very, very good reputation from taking over for uh, Stewart for a while. John well, if you, yeah, I mean, last time, that's how he got this show, because yeah. he was he so good in for Stewart. If you like John Stewart, and if you like Stephen Colbert, you're going to love John Oliver. If you don't like Stewart or Colbert, you're going you're gonna to hate him, because he is obviously of the same political ill. He, you know, uses his humor mm-hmm. that way. I wish it was going to be on every night. I really do. I wish, you know, it was going to be on every night, but, uh, Oh, it isn't on every night. He, it's only one week. Yeah. yeah it's, it's only one week. week. It's, on, it's on Sunday nights. Okay. okay. The thing is, is he actually, he went and I'm not going to give anything away, but he goes into depth a little bit more on certain news segments. Is it an hour? One hour? It's only a half an hour. And that's okay. kind of the bummer too. It's like, okay, well, if it's only going to be once a week, why can't you make it an hour then? You know, oh, to me, maybe, maybe there's a test balloon. They maybe make it like Bill Maher and be an hour. Um, but, you know, conservatives in, will hate the show. And, you know, he doesn't yeah. give a shit. Neither do I. You know, whatever. You have Fox News already for all that, yeah. for that that stuff. So, you know, go watch Fox if that's what you want to do. True. But uh, it's, a, it's a lot of it's, – it's funny. It's thought-provoking occasionally maddening when when he brings up certain examples and you'll see what i mean when you watch okay. them where you'll just be just like what the fuck <laughs> how, how, is, probably how watch. is this stuff allowed how how is how is these things allowed to happen in our lives just how how do how do they happen to our children how does it how is it allowed and uh and obviously there's there's much bigger forces at work yeah. that have much more power and money behind them than you and i do that oh, allow I don't that know. stuff. I don't know. But you know, <laughs> but you know what? It takes two to tango. Yeah. And when when you have a parent who's willing to buy whatever products those are that really are very harmful to their children because of marketing, because of the TV shows and you know, kids TV programming that are just not nonstop infomercial nowadays yeah. for really bad products. You know what? Not for nothing, but the blame in the end lies on the person who's pulling out their wallet and spending, you know, those dollars on those products. Mm-hmm. Because if you didn't do it, they wouldn't be selling them. They'd be going off to other products. So you know, it's it's it it, it takes two to tangle. But John Oliver, excellent show, excellent show. Sounds good. I'm um, look forward to that. I want to mention. Uh, go ahead. You were you wanted to see something? I was just going to say. Have you been watching Turn? Turn no no didn't didn't do uh, it yet. It's it's the new uh, the new AMC show. Um, See, I got I have to from- run these. I have to run these things. We talked about this already. I have to run these things by my wife. She wasn't enchanted by it. We started watching uh, Salem, but unfortunately, she doesn't like that. So I didn't like it. Well, and I started watching Fargo, and I saw your post about not liking it, and not finishing it. I watched the first two episodes. Love the cast. Love all the different people on it. But you know what? Potential. I don't. It's it's not. And I loved the movie. And I'm not even comparing it. No, to no, it. it's nothing to do with. The but movie. there's there's a disjointedness yeah. to it. That yes, I know it's supposed to be that way, but it's so disjointed with all these different snippets from different people that even though I like a lot of the characters in it, you mean Billy Bob isn't in every one? Yeah, <laughs> is he or not? He, well, he's he's in a, a lot of scenes, but not all the scenes. No, but I mean, he's not in each. Uh, he won't be on every week because he's one of the main reasons it would be any good, probably. Well, it's it's a standalone. Fargo is going to be each season. The plan is to have it be like True Detective. Right. It's right, a one. I mean, one it's a one and done. So, like next year, Billy Bob won't be on it. The guy got, that's in Sherlock won't be on it. It's like um, it's actually like American Gothic horror. Or yes, exactly. American Horror Story. But what I meant was he's going to be on yeah. for the whole season, right? 
I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll have if you to... look at IDBM, I'm not sure that he's going to be on the entire season. Well, I'm considering watching the second one without my wife because she didn't like it. But uh, that's it's okay. But it was. It, I wasn't. I, it I wasn't, wasn't killed. Like, I wasn't killed by the first one. Let me put it that way. There's other shows. My my philosophy these days is there's, there's plenty others. on. I, you know, I have a couple of jobs. I don't have a lot of extra time. So the time I have has to be shows that I really want to watch. Mm-hmm. Turn is really, really good. Give Turn a chance because it's based on the true story of during the Revolutionary War. Um, it takes place on Long Island and the British are controlling the towns there. And We already talked about this. I want to yeah, remind you. We went yeah. through this. Oh, that's right. Okay, we did. Well, now it's like four episodes in, and it's actually quite good. And you're into now. It. If you're if you're if you're in, I was said to my wife after this week's. I said, you know what? If they're showing this show over in England, like on the BBC or ITV or whatever, there's probably a lot of people who are like, "Fuck this show," because the British, the <laughs> British funny. are the British are showing you nothing but a bad. I haven't seen one sympathetic character so far for the British. My wife's like, "Yeah, that's true." I said, "Well, think about it. They were they were trying to. Well, they were why the should, why, It would be it right. would be disingenuous to show a sympathetic British character on a Revolutionary War show because they weren't. They all they wanted to do. Well, was, in secret, you know, there might have been some. No, ah, no, they all for king and country. Why would they want to give up the colonies? That made no sense whatsoever. They would never. They they twenty years later they came back and burned the White House. They I wonder. I wonder how it would have gone if they wouldn't have given up the colonies. We may have been better off. Who knows? And we'd have universal. We'd have we'd have universal health care. Like that Canada. could be one thing. Hey, I wanted to mention real quick. Um, yeah. uh, since we give these little recommendations, um, I've been listening to a podcast that is usually pretty funny, and it's called Dork Forest. So you just look it up. Um, it's a female comic who interviews other comic uh, comics mostly, and okay. I was listening to one last night. Um, so you, she interviews people about how they're dorks in a particular. That's not the word I would have chosen, <laughs> by the way, but it's not nerd either. I love dorks. So the the dorkiness comes from, for example, this guy who is also a comedian. Um, he loves to. He's lived all over the world and been all over the world, and he loves wherever he is. He loves to go to cemeteries and visit the graves of famous people. And uh, that doesn't actually sound that great for uh, an hour discussion, but you know they're comics, so every they're comedians, so the entire thing, the entire discussion is usually pretty good for that reason because they're they're entertaining people. Dork Forest, and I'll be damned if I can remember her name, but she's from the Midwest as well, and she has a strong accent, so she sounds Dork like Forest. I might have yeah, sounded if I would have stayed there. Yeah, uh, I like. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of the Angry History Show, and the funny thing is, is the guys aren't even angry. They're they're <laughs> they're really good. One's in L.A. and the other one's in New York, and I guess they do it over Skype. But uh, it's a really cool history show called, you know, obviously, the Angry History Show, and they're funny, but they're smart. Mm-hmm. They present in a really cool way, and like one of the one of the uh, latest episodes is called Presidential Voices. And what it was is they used the actual cylinder recordings of the earliest presidents on Benjamin Harrison, I think, in like 1889. And they went up through McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, Taft, and uh, Wilson and all them and playing like some of their speeches that were recorded. And like the earliest ones were very, very tough, very rough to, to listen to. But it was like some of the ones with Teddy Roosevelt were fascinating. The quality was quite good. Uh, and they had a bunch from the 1912 campaign where it was Roosevelt and Taft and uh, I forget who else it was. 
and they were playing those and then they were talking in between and it was really interesting and the funny thing is when they first put teddy roosevelt on i'm listening to him it's like he doesn't sound all rough and ready <laughs> his voice t- didn't match this big persona you know the big you know ernest hemingway kind of let's go out and kill animals with our bare hands that you've always associated with Teddy Roosevelt. And then when they came on, the two hosts of it came on and they kind of made mention too, that his voice, when you live, when you listen to that, it kind of skews your perspective a little bit. Yeah. But maybe but, the, maybe the voice recording wasn't accurate too. You know? It may have been, but the thing is it was actually quite good quality, but the bigger thing to me was listening to their words. It was actually quite interesting because like Teddy Roosevelt, who I've always liked anyways, um, I don't agree with every last thing that he did, but he's actually one of my favorite presidents. But listening to him there talking and talking about the power of uh, the corporation, even though he didn't really use the word corporation, but that you get my meaning on that. Mm. It was fascinating 102 years ago to listen to him talk about that and realize how little things really have changed. So that would be a recommendation is the, uh, the Angry History Show. And specifically the episode "Presidential Voices." It's it's really quite that one is like thirty five or forty minutes, maybe a, a lot shorter than our show is today. But um, yeah, I'd give it a chance. Speaking of our show today, which I think is coming to uh, an end, we just want to mention rather than listing a bunch of places you can go to find us, just go to leavethebottlepodcast.com. You'll see at the top of that site everything, every possible destination to check out what we do. Yes, and we don't even have a tip jar set up or anything. No tip jar, no money. That is not the model that we're going for. No freemium, no no premium, no donations, no sponsors, no advertisers. No, so when we're in cardboard boxes in a little while, then, you know, then maybe you'll throw us a little bit of coin. Sure, sure. (laughs) All right. All right. All righty. Well, till next time. Till next time.